Welcome to Enterprise Radio, the signature show of the Enterprise Podcast Network, featuring some of the most prominent business professionals in the world today. And now your host, Eric Dye. This is Eric Dye, and once again, welcome to Enterprise Radio, a part of VPN, the Enterprise Podcast Network. Today, we're speaking with Mr. Stephen Chain, author of Fly by Night, which exposes Hollywood's biggest on-set secret to skirt the American justice system. And Mr. Chain, thanks for joining us here today. Well, thank you for having me. And you're certainly more than welcome. I'm sure this will be an interesting conversation today. So let's start out with this. Why is your book written about a crime that occurred 40 years ago still relevant today? Let's start there. Well, obviously, Hollywood is still very relevant today. It's a play plays such an important role in our ideas and our ideology and our thinking and our philosophies, our emotions and whatnot. And this is a story that people have tried to tell before, but were never able to because they didn't have the inside story. They didn't have the documents. They didn't have the communications. Remember, when this uh, when the accident or crash occurred and three people died on a set, maybe many of your viewers or listeners are too young to remember this event or even know about it for that matter, because Steven Spielberg, who's sort of the king of Hollywood, has kept this thing very quiet and it never really associated his name with it, even though he was very deeply involved with the production, the movie production, which was, as you know, called Twi- Twi- The Twilight Zone, the movie. And it was basically consisted of uh, four different segments, one of which Spielberg, Steven Spielberg, was directing with a friend of his named John Landis. And they were ha- having a rivalry about who could get the production cheaper. And they had a big laugh about it every time they were able to cut corners and whatnot. And as a result, uh, a helicopter crashed on a movie set, killing uh, three people, decapitating two in front of their parents, uh, a little boy and a little girl, Mika the boy, Renee the girl, Asian children, Asian American immigrants who were basically working illegal at night and were hidden from authorities and a great conspiracy was formed. And then when the crash occurred, uh, the Steven Spielberg's closest associate at the time, who went on to do many, many successful films, a guy named Frank Marshall, who himself is a very prominent Hollywood director, producer, whatnot, figure, uh, basically cleared the set of all the evidence. And for nine months, authorities had no idea what went on that night. And it was only through a grand jury that was convened let's say the accident or the crash occurred in July, two o'clock in the morning. One of the reasons it was so late was because the children were concealed from the authorities. And uh, then basically the movie production people and their army of lawyers uh, were, you know, concealed evidence and cons- organized a vast conspiracy to avoid authorities. And for not for basically, as I said, nine months, a grand jury was finally convened and some of the hidden evidence was surfaced as a result of people being compelled to testify. Until that time, this thing was basically going to disappear and Spielberg and, his, and the real Spielberg was important was, of course, he played such an important role at that time. That's when he really had his greatest successes, E.T. and the rest of them. He had three movies going at one time. And he, like I, the studios, Warner in this case, was willing to do anything to protect him as a as a property. And so uh, this is Los Angeles, 
Hollywood, the district attorney's office didn't do much, didn't seem to care much. And uh, a great uh, crime was committed without anybody paying any consequence, except for, I guess you call the parents being paid off by the insurance companies. But I mean, I don't know if I'd be willing to trade my child for an insurance uh, settlement. I think the book is revealing and really interesting is because it has inside stuff that no one's ever known before about Hollywood. There's a universal theme to it. I mean, the fact that it was about a crime that occurred many years ago. I mean, it is a class, in my opinion, it's a classic sort of a, a, a crime type, a mystery. It's written, I don't know if you had a chance to review it much, but I tried to achieve a novel like telling of the story where it became a page turner. And each time you turn the page, you learn something more about Hollywood movie making the technical way. And then you realize or you understand, you come to understand how each of these techniques and methods of Hollywood movie making become a clue in unwrapping what really happened that night because John Landis, who was the director of the time himself, very famous for the his classic contribution to Hollywood with Animal House and Blues Brothers and some of the films that made, put him on the map. Uh, he was very successful. He and his lawyers and their staff were very successful in organizing uh, basically keeping a hundred people who witnessed a hundred witnesses more or less silent. I mean, there were a few members of the cast who came forward, a few cameramen who were witnesses and got a real feeling for what happened that night. But other than that, as I said, uh, after, and also they delayed the trial for five years and uh, it just became a great mystery in the history of Hollywood and was a horrible tragedy. Yeah, a lot of interesting details shared. I'm sure you could share a whole lot more, and we'll continue the conversation here today, and a lot you could write about for sure. Now, how does the controversy swirling around the movie set of Rust compared to what happened on the set of Twilight Zone? Touch on that, if you would. It's really interesting. Uh, even now, as you know, the uh, I think it's the, the one of the higher courts in, in New Mexico is now reviewing the Rust case, Alec Baldwin's alleged to be involved in that act of negligence. John Landis, who was director on the Twilight Zone movie, was charged basically with uh, a manslaughter charge, which has to do with alleging that the tragedy or the outcome was foreseeable. Like, for example, you drive your car around with a kid on the hood at 50 miles an hour, falls off and dies. It's very foreseeable. That's the way the manslaughter count works, typically. In the Rust case, Alec Baldwin is being accused, not because he was director, although in my opinion, he was basically directing that set that day. Uh, Alec Baldwin is accused of being negligent because uh, there were so many signs and so much evidence that uh, safety issues were concerned, just like there were in the helicopter crash on the Twilight Zone movie. I mean, flying a helicopter directly over an explosive is a, a, a obvious hazard and uh, should be done on a computer, right? Not uh, with people uh, performing uh, 20 feet below a helicopter, hovering above its most dangerous spot. In the case of the Rust thing, you have all the issues related to foreseeability, which have to do with knowing uh, guns were discharged accidentally two or three times before. The incident occurred in Russ when the uh, cinematographer was murdered. 
Uh, Alec Baldwin was obviously the kind of personality he is. And considering that set and the first of all, Alec Baldwin owned a piece of the movie. He was not only did he own a piece, he was contributing his services to the movie to economize and enhance his profit uh, portion. So he his hands, he was very much responsible. He was a co-producer. He, he, he was wearing wearing five hats that day, co-producer, actor, financier. Uh, he had a number of roles. And in my understanding of the way he operated, I interviewed several people involved in that production because I was considering doing a follow up project on Rust. And uh, I interviewed several people on the set and they said he was screaming wildly in many occasions on the set. And uh, my understanding is that he was probably responsible for, although he was handed a loaded pistol by one of the assistant directors, he probably put enough pressure with his prestige importance. I mean, this was a very, uh, this was part of the uh, Hollywood fleeing Hollywood going to uh, states where it's much more economical to produce. And you can get away with cutting corners and, and budget budgeting much easier than you can in Hollywood, which is basically controlled by the uh, trade unions. Although the trade unions are involved, there are several states that are now becoming what they call runaway production states, where the Hollywood producers are going there. And obviously, you can get away with a lot, m m much more that you can't here in California. And, and, and that's one of the few areas where we have legislation. Otherwise, it's a madhouse out here. But... Uh, Anyway, so there are analogies. Uh, safety is obviously still an uncontrolled uh, feature in the Hollywood movie business. This is not the only people. I mean, there have been other deaths since the Twilight Zone accident crash. And uh, I think there will continue to be because the directors are considered, uh, you know, gods. And obviously, uh, when they make successful films, they're hot properties and the studios will go out of their way to protect them. I have no doubt you've gained the curiosity and the attention of the audience on all this so far. Now, tell me, does Hollywood manipulate the judicial system to cover up its crimes or is it that potential jurors or, for example, average citizens are obsessed with the glamour of Hollywood? What's your thought on that? Yeah. Well, you know, I don't want to give away... Uh, one of the important parts of, of Fly By Night, so, you know, to ruin your reader's uh, suspense, but at the end of the book, I interviewed all the jurors who did acquit John Landis and his four co-defendants. Uh, according to interviews after the trial, uh, the judge said he was prepared to sentence them up to two years in prison, uh, John Landis, that is. But they did, the jury did acquit them of all the charges, and I interviewed them all. And uh, like I said, without wanting to give it away, uh, they have, uh, let's just say, a rather imaginative way of looking at Hollywood figures, Hollywood's importance, and Hollywood's culpability, or should I say in this case, unculpability. But uh, you'll have to read the book to see what was going on. But just to give you one idea, well, I'll, I'll leave that in suspense, but yes, it, the jurors themselves in this area, jurors are hard. Sometimes it's easy to convict famous people, as you can see from the Murdoch trial, other recent important trials where very prominent people like Jeffrey Epstein's associate friend was convicted. I mean, important people can be convicted. 
even though they can afford the best legal defense, the best investigators, private eye, whatnot, and they can afford to, to persuade witnesses uh, in, in any event. Yes, but on the other hand, uh, these people during this trial, many Hollywood celebrities appeared to support John Landis. Uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg, who is now the chief fundraiser for the Biden reelection campaign, was there on a regular basis supporting John Landis. And I mean, in the defense of his supporters, John Landis and the Spielberg people and the Hollywood lawyers and Warner were very successful in keeping what happened on the set that night and the absolute uh, recklessness that occurred involving alcohol, drugs, I mean, uh, unprofessional people, I mean, uh, hiding the kids, the two victim, uh, two children who would die were hidden with John Landis's wife and his newborn baby in a trailer. But no one knew the facts. And John Landis and his lawyer and people in the Directors Guild and other key features in Hollywood were lobbied all along during the whole procession for the full five years to believe that John, this was strictly an accident and uh, couldn't have been prevented and John Landis had complete clean hands and uh, whatever. I mean, it was a very big campaign. And uh, basically, uh, to this day, I don't think Steven Spielberg himself, even though his close associate Frank Marshall was there and witnessed this thing and actually carried the dying little girl's body to the shore where her mother watched her wailing, watched her perish with Frank Marshall right there. And Frank Marshall, within minutes, he ordered the set cleared, ordered everybody to clear out before the authorities arrived and could establish evidence of what happened. But no one knows this. And in, in fact, until one of the Warner lawyers confided in me and provided me documents of interviews with Frank Marshall, no one in Hollywood ever knew of his role in this thing. And actually, Frank Marshall left the country for two or three years and spent time in England working on other film projects, which afforded him, he was able to evade, I tell that whole story too, he was able to evade uh, the district attorney's office uh, subpoenas in bringing him as a witness. So, yes, power and money works. Yeah, certainly some living proof that it does for sure. Really do appreciate your visit with us. One last question. Does your book basically confirm that a Hollywood director will do anything, including covering up crimes, in order to make profitable movies? Well, I mean, I don't know if I would uh, confine it to the role of a director. I, I think that anyone involved in, in pro I mean, most of the people on a film, you know, just earn a good wage. But they, I mean, films are, uh, they're like a sweepstake, a jackpot. Either you fail and sink or you can, it's like Hollywood itself, the thousands of people who populate Hollywood. It's like a jackpot if you succeed. So the people who are valuable in making money are, are able to get away with murder, which is what the, the book is all about. I mean, it, and, and about the personalities of these people and the surreptitious type things that they do to conceal evidence that shows their wrongdoing. Yes. I guess in a sentence, yes. Well, you certainly answered the question without stuttering, and I do definitely appreciate uh, your joining us here today. Where can listeners pick up your book, Fly By Night? And uh, if there's any other places online they could get further details, that would be appreciated. Well, the you know, I'm profiled on Amazon. Uh, when, when Fly By, I mean, this is a re-release. They it, it came out in hardback about a year ago. It's being re-released in paperback now. 
And uh, when it was first released on Amazon, it was an Amazon bestseller in the crime series. So uh, Amazon, and then of course the publisher itself is a place called Trine Day, T-R-I-N-E-D-A-Y. And you can find them online. You can order directly from the publisher or from Amazon. Uh, unfortunately, the local bookstores are disappearing and everything is moving online. So the best place to get it would probably be from the publisher or Amazon. And of course, listeners, you can draw your attention to the show notes for further details accordingly. Mr. Chain, all the best. And we thank you for joining us here today on EPN. All right. Thank you very much. Again, we've been speaking with Mr. Stephen Chain. He's the author of Fly By Night, which exposes Hollywood's biggest on-set secret to skirt the American justice system. And for further details on Fly By Night, just simply draw your attention to the show notes for the link accordingly. And this is Eric Dye, and you've been listening to Enterprise Radio, a part of EPN, the Enterprise Podcast Network. Tune into our live location as we are streaming live 24-7 around the world at epodcastnetwork.com forward slash live. You can also find our live stream on iTunes Radio and TuneIn Radio as well as the TuneIn Radio app for your listening convenience. And as always, we thank you for your support and for tuning in. Thanks for listening to Enterprise Radio. To subscribe to more of our programming, visit epodcastnetwork.com. This is the ePodcast Network.